I'm excited to be kicking off uh, this series in Philippians today. We'll be opening up with the first 11 verses. Um, you know, we've been talking lately specifically about how we're going to be really channeling in to uh, diving deeper into the word, um, slowing down and making sure that we're, we're really absorbing all that we can from what God's word teaches us. We don't want to uh, just hit the highlights of things that, you know, we feel passionate about what we want, but when we walk verse by verse through scripture, we're actually being expo exposed line by line through every truth that God's word uh, has for us. So when we're doing that, I love that we're making the commitment to do this. I think it's going to be so fruitful in our lives. I think sometimes it might not be quite as exciting, but I think that it'll be rich and deep and it'll uh, help us all to grow in our walk with the Lord. And I'm I'm so excited about that. Uh, so anyway, uh, I also think uh, what's, what's powerful about preaching in this way is we know, we know that Jesus said in John chapter eight, he said that if you abide in my word, remain close in my word, you will know the truth or you are truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, so I'm believing that God's word truly has power uh, to set us free from different things that we're struggling with, from uh, the ways that we are so earthly minded, all those kinds of things can be transformed when we abide in God's word, believe it and pursue Jesus with all our hearts. So uh, we're starting in Philippians today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Philippians chapter one. Uh, we'll be reading the first 11 verses. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to have everyone stand. It's a longer passage. If you guys don't mind, if you can, if you're able, stand as we read the word, uh, just to keep away from uh, distractions. I think that might, might help us out as we read through this together. So Philippians chapter 1, uh, read verse 1 through 11. And I got to turn there, so... <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Philippians chapter one, verse one, it says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I'm going to pray and then we'll be seated. Lord Jesus, we just pray in this time, God, that your word would just uh, open our eyes to um, know you better, to serve you better, to um, understand that we can have joy in any, any circumstance and any trial and anything we face because it's not found in a, uh, uh, specific situation or in everything going well for us, but God, it's found in you. God, we want to build our lives on you and on your truth. So God, I just pray right now that you would humble all of our hearts, help us to pursue you knowing that we need you to completely transform our lives. Everything that's uh, held back from you, God, we want to surrender that to you now. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. 
Thanks for doing that, by the way. I just thought I'd change it up for the heck of it, but <laughs> appreciate you all participating. You give me a microphone, I'll just do whatever I want. So, um, so when I was probably six or seven or eight, hopefully at the younger part of that, um, I don't remember the occasion, but something inspired me to write a poem, a little sweet note <laughs> to my mom. Uh, you know when the words just like come to you too? Like you're writing and you're just like, wow, this is, this is amazing. You know, it was like the opposite of writer's block. Um, whatever that is, I guess just writers doing their job. I don't know. But uh, whatever you call that, that's what I had. You know, I, I was writing and uh, it didn't take much time to make my rhyme. So, nah, it was not that good. Anyway, <laughs> the problem was a rhyme was maybe all that I had. Uh, despite the sweet and pure intentions and the seemingly divine intervention with every move of the crayon, uh, you know, these words didn't quite carry the message I intended. Uh, I discovered that this first when I handed the note to my dad. So I remember walking in, um, I, we had this little hallway with like a laundry, it's not a room, it's just like a little cubby. Uh, and I handed it to him, you know, I'm just anticipating the tears that he's gonna cry as he reads this sweet note that I wrote from my heart to my mom. And uh, he did cry, but it was from laughter. And <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Like, I just wrote this sweet note. And I thought for sure, you know, I'd secured my position as the favorite child with this note. Uh, but here's what it said. It said, uh, my mom is good. My mom is great. My mama eats everything on her plate. <laughs> she sleeps till noon. She thinks that's great. That's why my mom's so good and great. <laughs> I had some awesome intentions, you know? I was like, this is gonna be so sweet. She's gonna appreciate and love this. Uh, and then from there, it was just like, as long as it rhymes, I guess it goes, you know? It doesn't really matter. What's hilarious about it too is my mom is really not a heavy eater at all, and she's a pretty early riser. So <laughs> just thought I'd throw that in there too. I, I called my mom yesterday. I was like, hey, do you care if I use this? And the, she was like, yeah, not too much. I was like, don't worry. I'm not gonna pretend like all these things were true. This is a six-year-old poet trying to pull some words together. So thankfully, uh, the Apostle Paul is not uh, a little more articulate than, you know, my seven-year-old self. Um, and more importantly, his, his words actually are divinely inspired. And as he's writing this letter, we see a heartfelt note and, and appreciation from Paul to this church. And I think as we dive into this beginning, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have that wow factor. It's got, you know, it's the greeting, it's a thanksgiving, it's a prayer, and it's awesome uh, to see his heart for the church. But I think that as we read it, we'll see into his heart and really uh, something that we can model in our own lives. Do we have this kind of heart for the church, uh, for people, uh, other fellow believers? Do we have this heart for the gospel? Uh, I think we'll see these things as we go through. Um, some, some major themes, and some of this is gonna be a little bit informational, a little bit teachy, but I'm also introducing the book, so I wanna make sure that we get some good context going into it, because we're gonna be walking through the whole thing. And uh, excuse me for a second while I take a drink of this water. I didn't have anything better like high five your neighbor, but that's all right. Anyway, themes of this book are joy is mentioned about 15 times in this book. So this is, uh, that's a big theme, especially for only being four chapters. And then Christ is mentioned about 50 times in these chapters. So you, I don't think that's by accident either, right? Because joy uh, is rooted in Christ. These are mentioned uh, together. Joy isn't found in power or position or a 
picture perfect life, it's found in a person and that's Jesus. So we know that our joy is rooted and grounded in Jesus. Um, I've read of some commentators, different people that talk about Philippians, trying to extract like a theme from it. And uh, one of the things that I've read a lot and I actually tend to agree with a little bit is that humility is a major theme in the book of Philippians. Uh, whether it's using the word or not, it's being exemplified through different lives. And, and ultimately, you guys might be familiar with the passage where Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and, and became obedient even to the point of, the, of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on, on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there, you know, we see the significant, the powerful humility of Christ. So he's God, but he humbled himself. And we see this humility theme throughout. We see it in Paul. We see it in Timothy. We see it in Epaphroditus. Um, but I think, too, we see that joy and humility, how those work together, I think is powerful, too. And we might get to this a little bit later as well. But um, I think that maybe he mentions these themes so much because Paul knew that believers wouldn't walk in the fullness of joy until they had the humility to find greater joy in the person of Christ than in their present circumstances. Paul had this uh, profound humility to be writing believers uh, to encourage them while he's finding himself in a prison cell. Um, I, I used to know, or used to go to this little Bible study thing. It was just with a couple guys. Uh, I was a high schooler. Um, I, well, maybe I was a little older than that. I don't know. I was probably 19. But anyway, some guy, his name's Tracy Wade, and he used to invite me over, and we started going through that book, Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Anyone familiar with that? So we started going through that week by week. Uh, the weeks I looked forward to most, though, was every couple or so weeks, he would call in this guy uh, that he knew. And uh, this guy that he knew is um, in prison, and he's going to be, I think, maybe for life. I'm not sure what, what the whole situation is, for a very long time, if not for life. Um, but he got saved while he was in prison, and he started up studies. He's been sharing the gospel like crazy, and there's just revival taking place in this prison. I don't know where it's at. I don't remember any of that. But I, what I remembered, what stuck out to me the most uh, about when we would be able to call in and he, he would call us whenever he had an opportunity, uh, I, he'd put it on speakerphone, I'd sit there and listen to him. And instead of him talking about his own trials and what he was facing, he actually was constantly encouraging Tracy and asking like, hey, how's, how's it going? How are you following Jesus? What, what's the impact of you guys' ministry? What's going on with the church? Like he's literally pouring into and encouraging and building up this guy, Tracy, that I was hanging out with when he's finding himself in prison with, with no foreseen uh, time of getting, getting out. And that stuck with me. I was like, how, how does somebody have that kind of humility to care so it seems like it cares so little about your own state compared to how much you care about other people and about God. And um, man, I think we'll, we'll, as we dive into this, we're going to see Paul's heart and, and how we can have that kind of heart for people and for God. So um, 
I've also heard this letter. It's been called like a book of psychology. You know, it deals with things like the mind. Uh, it deals with, uh, you know, suffering, with joy, with peace, with uh, trials, and all these different things pieced together. Uh, people use the book of Philippians to deal with a lot of things that, you know, I think this book is highly applicable. We're going to get a lot out of it in the coming weeks as we walk through it. Um, but before I spend too much time in this intro, let's jump into the body of it. And I, I want to outline it for us in three sections. In the greeting in verse 1 and 2, we'll jump into the thanksgiving and then the prayer in verse 9 and 11. Um, but a little more background into what's actually happening here at Philippi and the people that are involved in it. Um, verse 1 and 2, I'm going to read that for us again. It says, in verse one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So I'm sure you're familiar, but Paul, you know, he was converted. His name is originally Saul, and he was a persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee, zealous for the law, zealous for the things of God that he, the way that he understood it. He didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, so he would persecute those who would call Jesus the way. Uh, and so that was his life. He actually was uh, traveling with, with a letter giving him permission to uh, either kill or imprison believers whenever God stopped him in his tracks. And he's like, uh, you're no longer going to be living your life to, um, you know, persecute me, I'm going to actually use you in a powerful way. So God transformed Saul's life, turned, uh, changed his name to Paul. Uh, we see in uh, Acts chapter 14, 15, I think, in that area, Barnabas and Saul uh, meet up, and they start doing some ministry together in Antioch. Uh, they go on their first mi uh, missionary journey. On their first missionary journey, uh, you know, they're, they're growing in their friendship with each other. But when they get back, before they go back out, Paul and Barnabas uh, have a sharp disagreement about whether or not they should bring Mark with them. Uh, because Mark deserted them, Paul was like, I don't think we should bring that guy. And Barnabas was like, no, he's still useful. I think Barnabas was right, but I don't know. But anyway, uh, they, they split up. And we see that at the end of Acts chapter 15. So then Paul... Uh, decides he's going to take Silas with him. And in Acts chapter 16, we see that they start going back to some of the churches they had visited. Everyone tracking with me? So they started going back, visiting churches uh, that they had already shared the gospel in. A lot of crazy stuff happened. We don't have time to talk about all of that. Um, but as they do that, they come to a place called uh, Derby and Lystra. And when they're there, uh, they hear of this guy named Timothy, who's a faithful believer. Uh, his mom is a Jew, and his dad is a Greek. And uh, Paul really likes this guy. He's heard of his reputation. And he's a young guy, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to take you with me. And uh, so he brings Timothy along with him. And in Acts chapter 16, we see from there, as they're going about and strengthening, strengthening these different churches, uh, in Acts chapter... Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 6. I think, I don't think I have the slide. I'm just going to read it to us. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. We we're going to see how the church of Philippi was planted. And it's pretty amazing. It, it wasn't just a random happenstance that they were there. God called them there. In verse 6 of Acts chapter 16, it says, And they went through the region of Phrygia in Galatia, probably going to say some of these wrong, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit 
of Jesus did not allow them. In verse eight, it says, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And we see that Philippi is actually located kind of as the entryway into Macedonia, into that region. And that's where they go there. But as a quick application here, we see that Paul and his companions were constrained. They were kept back by the spirit of God from going into certain places. I think anyone else ever get discouraged by like a closed door in their life? Like something shuts off that you feel like was what God had for you. You felt like God was equipping you for that, or maybe it was just what you're so passionate about and you're excited for it. Maybe some of you guys are facing decisions right now and it feels like the ones that you were supposed to take are shutting in front of your face. I think sometimes we think of closed doors as God's cursing and God open doors as God's blessing. But I think that if we read scripture, we see that God, closed doors can be a huge blessing in our lives that God actually is closing a door to open up something else that will be more valuable and rich and powerful and will fit according to his plans that will be for our good and his ultimate glory. So we see that he was constrained by the spirit, but we see this vision is given to Paul. And I just think it's so powerful to see that God will work in miraculous ways to lead someone into a place because he knows the end from the beginning and he knows what he's going to do there. He knows the profound impact that Philippi will not only have in their own city and in the surrounding areas, but in Paul's ministry as they pour back in, as they give financially, even out of, out of being uh, impoverished, they're still giving back into the church. And in years uh, down the line, we see that they're, they're useful in ministry and they're reaching people and they're making disciples, all because Paul was sensitive to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading and not get discouraged when God closed the door. So we see this door open up. God divinely appointed them to go to Philippi. Um, need to see where I'm at. Hold on, sorry. <laughs> uh, in Acts 16, I'm just going to briefly say what, what happens. There, we see three encounters. We see Lydia, uh, a, a woman named Lydia that he encounters as they're going down to pray. These are God-fearing worshipers of God. And God, it says that God opened her heart to understand and to, to believe what Paul was, was preaching, which is awesome. So we see that Lydia uh, in her house was, was uh, in a relationship with God through the ministry of Paul. And then we see this slave girl is um, a uh, fortune teller, uh, uh, divination and all of these kinds of things and has a spirit in her, of, a spirit of divination. And uh, she's following Paul and his companions around th saying, these are the servants of the most high God. And, uh, you know, saying that they come to bring the, the, the good news, basically, which is all true. But Paul's like, I'm not going to let this uh, demon possession be the thing to proclaim the truth of God's word. And he casts out the demon and it causes crazy, crazy things to happen in the, in the city of Philippi because uh, her owners were making a lot of money off of her fortune telling. So whenever he's like, all right, cast out that demon and she's no longer able to fortune tell, they just lost their business. So they drag them into the marketplace. They bring Paul and Silas and Timothy, I, I assume was along with them. Um, and 
you see that the city gets in an uproar, the, the Roman authorities, Philippi is under uh, Roman authority, and uh, they take them into, into prison. And you guys might know that story. You know, it's a powerful story. They're taken into the inner stocks after being beaten, and they're praising God in the middle of the night with open wounds on, a, on the floor of a, of, of a cold prison cell. You know, they're, they're praising God because their joy is rooted and grounded in Christ. They count themselves, they're, they're like, we're counted worthy to be used for the glory of God, to be used for his purposes. It doesn't matter what we're facing because I'm just thankful that God's using me. Man, wouldn't that transform our lives and our churches if we didn't care about what our circumstances looked like as long as we knew we were just being faithful? When, when, when not good circumstances, but faithfulness is the goal, I think God will do amazing things through, through us and through our church. But they were so faithful to say, God, I love you and whatever you want, you do it. And if that means I'm beaten, if that means I'm imprisoned, if that means I've got sleepless nights, if that means that maybe, you know, if that means that I've got to take on some more kids into my family so that they can have a place to stay, if that means that you want me to serve more even though I'm already busy, if that means you want me to quit my job so I have more time to serve you and to serve my family, whatever that looks like, I want to do it. Because being faithful to whatever God's leading us to do is more valuable than anything we could pursue in this life. So now let's fast forward to when this was written about 10 years, probably later. It was delivered by this guy, Epaphroditus. I know I've got a lot of information. I feel like I keep saying that, but hopefully you're all with me. I'll be honest. I was kind of like, I know I've got a lot to say about information and stuff going in, but you know what? It's God's word. So I'm just not going to worry about it anymore. But um, I think that, man, I think that right here we see, it's so cool to see that 10 years later, they still have this nurturing, building relationship between each other. You know, Philippi and Paul, and they're hundreds of miles apart. Paul's in a Roman prison, and he's writing this letter, and Epaphroditus comes up and brings him uh, financial provision from them, um, as, along with some words that they had sent with Epaphroditus, and then he's sending back this letter that we're reading here in Philippians. Um, so he's writing... Uh, and as he's writing this, keep this in mind. I think this transforms the way that we'll read the entire epistle. He is anticipating either soon to be released or soon to be executed. We'll read a little bit more about that later down in chapter one. But he, what we know that in this book, there's some life verses, right? For to me to live as Christ, to die as gain. You know, Paul said that knowing that he says, my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but with full courage now as always, Christ will be glorified in my body. That, that what I do in this life, in my body, f will be for the glory of God and it doesn't matter what happens to me. That's, that's his heart as he's writing this and he knows that he may even die soon. So let's dive into the actual text. Verse one, uh, if you all still have your Bible turned there or if it's back behind me on the screen, let's look at that for a second. Verse one, it says, uh, servants, bond slaves, um, Servants means bond slaves. Sorry, Paul and Timothy are servants. Uh, bond slaves means they're in lifelong servitude to their master, but uh, the way that they're meaning it is not that it, they have to be, but it's because it's a willing service. They, they are bond slaves, and they're not the only ones that have said that. Uh, Jude uh, wrote, he's a bond slave. Peter also wrote that in his introduction to his uh, letters. They just thought of themselves that way. 
Like, it's such an interesting thing. Like, it's easier for me to be like, hey, I'm Pastor Jesse. It's like, hey, I'm a slave of God, <laughs> used for only his purposes, right? Like, it's, it sounds better for me to be like, uh, I've got a title. But it's like, no, no, you're just a servant. <laughs> like, I, my life is for God's glory. It's not about myself. Um, that's what we are as believers. We should be bond servants of God, willing slaves to do whatever he wants us to do. And really, we know that there's more joy in that than in anything else. I'm going to jump through this quickly. I know that we spent a lot of time in the introduction. Don't worry. I'm not going to preach this long on everything. But in, uh, let's look down in verse 3 through 8. I'm going to read that little section for us. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Uh, I think we see some valuable characteristics of joy in these verses rather than dissecting every uh, verse and every portion of it. We don't have time for that. Uh, but I think a few things that we see in these verses here are we gonna, we're going to see that Paul has joy in his thanksgiving of other believers. Paul has joy in what God's doing in others. I think that a lot of us lack joy because we don't find it through how God's blessing others. In fact, that might take away from our happiness uh, when, when God's blessing others, but we're struggling. But Paul doesn't seem, seem to, to care about that. He's, he's thankful for what God's doing in their lives, regardless of what's happening to him. Um, here's kind of a gut-punching question, but how often are you thanking God for what he's doing in others when you find yourself under bad circumstances. You know, a lot of people, we all like want people to get by. A lot of times we just don't want them to get by us. You know, we, we, we are happy that people are, are doing well, that they're thriving. But when that begins to go uh, above and beyond where we're at, uh, we, jealousy starts to creep in and, and um, selfish ambition and those kinds of things. So how, how often are we thanking God for what he's doing in others? So we see that. We also see uh, that he's joyful in his prayers for them. I, I'm so convicted every time I read Paul, like talking about his relationship with churches, because he's like, every time I pray for you on a regular basis, on a constant basis, I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you. And he's got these awesome prayers. I'm like, I'm struggling to make sure I'm praying every day intentionally for just my family. And he's praying for all these believers that he's met over the last, you know, decade or more. And, he, and he's intentional with them and he's, he's writing letters. Like how easy would it be as you're rotting in a prison cell to like, no one would, no one would blame him. Right. If he started to get a little bitter, like really God, you benched me. Like I've been, serving you with all my life. I've given everything that I have. I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've gone through all of this and you're, you're putting me on the bench. Like I'm sitting in this prison cell, but he doesn't wallow in his circumstances. He's like, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to pour into other believers who are needing the encouragement, the truth of God's word to impact and, and, and them and grow in their spiritual life. He is so concerned with others that he, they can't seem to have time to wallow in his own circumstances. 
in uh, verse four, we also see that he's thankful and that he has this joy in their partnership in the gospel. He's thankful that they've not only been financially invested, but they're pouring into the gospel to the point that it says in these verses, it says, um, in verse seven, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's saying, you're experiencing the same grace that God's pouring into my life because of what I'm facing. You guys are so invested in it. It's like you're right there with me. He's saying that you guys are experiencing the same things. You're getting the grace of God poured into your lives because you're invested and you're partnered with me in the gospel. How many gospel partnerships do we have as individuals and as a church? How many people do we have in our lives that we're so invested in what they're doing that we grieve when they grieve? We rejoice when they rejoice. We're excited when God pours into their ministry and we, we are to give ourselves willingly and readily at any moment to be able to build up and encourage what they're doing. What kind of, what kind of gospel partnerships do we have in our own lives? Um, in verse six, it's a popular verse as well. I think it's so powerful. I, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, just knowing that God, what he started, he's going to finish. He's the author uh, and the, uh, and the <laughs> finisher of our faith, right? <laughs> I'm like blanking now. He's the alpha and the omega, right? God, whatever he starts, he's going to bring into fruition. We can trust God and we know that it's not all on us, but that Paul, when he says, I'm sure of this, that word is used in the perfect tense. And that when something's used in the perfect tense, it means that it's absolute, that, that it's in, emphasized even deeper and more strongly, more powerfully. So he says, I'm sure of this. He is completely confident, no doubt in his mind, whatever God's done in them, he's going to keep doing until Jesus returns. And that can be applied to all of us what God's invested in you. You remember the moment that you trusted in him, that you realized my weight of sin is holding me down. I can't get to God, but Jesus brought, uh, you know, Jesus came as God in the flesh and, and redeemed and brought us to the father. And now we have this life in Jesus. And as a result of that, now we know that God's never going to give up on us. We have this promise that whatever he began in you, he's going to complete into the day of Christ. Um, I want to read the prayer and then close this out here. But uh, in this prayer in verses nine through 11, read that with me here. It says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's prayer for them is that they would be unified in love. Um, I think it's cool too that, uh, not just cool, it's, it's intentional that, that Paul pairs up love and, and understanding. Sometimes we, we love people and we love God and all these things, but we're not growing in, in the knowledge of what God desires for us. And we're missing out on a lot of that. Sometimes we're filling up our heads with the knowledge of God. We're reading his word, but we're not applying it in love. And if we don't love, we're nothing. So pairing together the love of God be, that we abound more and more in love, as well as growing in knowledge and discernment, which knowledge we're understanding more of who God is. And that discernment has to do with his moral desire for our lives, his will. 
So as we're growing more and more in the knowledge uh, of God and, and in discernment, it says that we're able to approve what is excellent. Kind of sounds like Hebrews chapter five, verse 14, which says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by a constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So as we're growing in the knowledge and then the, the discernment um, paired with love, we're to be testing the things that we see in the world where, you know, where certain things that seem to not matter before we're like, I don't know about that. I know it's completely culturally acceptable, but I don't know about that. I'm not saying that we, you know, we trade in, uh, everything for legalism. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying, but we are discerning. We have to be a discerning people that knowing that there's things in our culture and in our church cultures, honestly, that are probably not okay, but we completely embrace because we don't know any different because we haven't taken the time to grow in our knowledge and our discernment by testing the things uh, that are in front of us uh, in accordance with God's word. Um, in closing, it says in verse 11, not only do we approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, Jesus is coming back and we want to grow in what we're, we're doing, we know that we're giving an account. And it says in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Um, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And uh, is Lacey in the room? Be awesome. If you want to come up, and come up, that'd be great. Thank you. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So as we grow in our love, we want to grow in what he desires for us. We can't obey his commands if we don't know what they are. <laughs> so as we're growing in this knowledge and this discernment, we're seeing that the truth of God's word exposed to our minds, and then we're living that induced only above. The fruit of righteousness is produced only by Christ. It says that his prayer, his desire for these believers that he so has such a big heart for is that they be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Righteousness isn't something we muster up. It's something that's produced in us as we abide in Jesus. First in salvation, right? Says that in, in Romans chapter one, for uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, right? To the Jew first and then to the Greek. And then he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith in the gospel, in the truth of God's word, when we apply it to our hearts and we believe in Jesus in faith, the righteousness of God is revealed to us. This is called imputed righteousness. Jesus righteousness is placed into our account where before there was only death and corruption and sin in a, in a weight that we could never release. So Jesus took on all our sin and gave us his righteousness. And then here in this text, he's saying, I want you guys to not only know that that's who you are in Christ, but I want your lives to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And in the same way you depended on Jesus and faith to receive the righteousness of God in your account, in your position, I want you to walk in righteousness by abiding in that same Jesus. I want you to know him, to love him, to serve him. And if you abide in Jesus, he'll produce much fruit in your life. First John is all about having an intimate walk with Jesus. He says in his introduction, you know, that which we've seen, which we've known, uh, seen with our eyes, which we've beheld, which we've heard, 
These things we would declare also to you so that you too may have fellowship or that intimacy with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And then he says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I told you it was kind of about joy and we're going to read a lot more about that throughout Philippians. But what he prays for them to have the fruit of righteousness, righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, that only comes, uh, that, that fruit of righteousness is what fills our lives with joy. I have a challenging question I want to ask you all this morning. And that is, what are you trying to find your joy in? You guys have probably all heard the thing, happiness and joy are different, right? Y'all, got, y'all have heard that. And it's true. There is a difference. Happiness is based on circumstance. It's based on happenings. Joy is based on the, the, who Jesus is. And it's not based on what we're going through, but it's upheld by God, by his spirit in our lives. If we want to see the joy of God in our lives, I think that the question I want to ask you all is, are you pursuing joy in things that could never give it? Because the only author of joy is God. And when we pursue it in a better financial situation or in, in, or in our marriage getting better, or maybe if, if they'll just be nicer to me, right? Or, or if my, my kid will stop disrespecting me, maybe I'll have some joy. I'll have some peace in my life. But really the truth is when we pursue Jesus, the joy of God is, is overflowing in our lives. And you can be sitting in a prison cell like Paul but all you'll want to do is write and encourage other believers because you love Jesus and you want to see them grow in their love for him. And you don't care about what you're walking through because you know that you're here for the purposes and plans of God. And it closes out the whole thing by saying, fill with the righteousness, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's why we're here. If you want a purpose statement of the whole Bible, we exist for the glory of God. We exist for his purposes, for his plans. Yeah, we exist to disciple others, to lead people to know Jesus, but you know what that does? It exalts our savior and it brings glory to our father. I'm gonna pray for us. If you guys um, wanna take a time, some time to respond, she'll play here for a minute um, and I'll come back up in just a moment. Um, but if you need prayer for anything, uh, we have people that would love to pray with you. If you uh, have something you're struggling in or anything in this message spoke to you, or if you have questions from anybody, please feel free to ask. And I just want to remind you just one more time that, that Jesus said that when he came in Hebrews, it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He knew that the joy of receiving us into his family was worth the suffering that he was enduring is the inheritance that Jesus has promised worth the suffering of a temporal world of a short period of time that we're on this earth? Is it worth the benefit of knowing that we've served our King with all that we had in this life? I think it is. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges and builds us. God, we thank you for uh, just sending your, your son Jesus to die in our place. God, we don't deserve that. We're, we're a group of sinful people, completely unworthy. But God, we love you because you first loved us. We're so thankful for what you're doing in our midst, in our church. God, I pray for any families, anyone in the room that's struggling. God, I just pray that they would cling to you like never before and experience your joy in every situation. 
We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.